Welcome to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. You don't often come across brands or their staff who are vocal about sponsorship on social media. And I'm not talking about the promotion or the activation of a sponsorship they're involved in. I'm talking about them actually sharing some thoughts and ideas and experiences on sponsorship in a way that contributes to the industry. That's why I was drawn to Dan Freistack, Senior Manager, Brand and Sponsorship at CDW. Not only does Dan post on LinkedIn about things that others don't, he does so in a way that generates discussion and the sharing of ideas. And that's really valuable and that's why I invited him on the show. It is a really insightful chat with someone on the brand side who is willing to share their thoughts, their views and their experiences in a really open way. You're going to love it. Welcome to Inside Sponsorship, episode 38. I'm your host, Daniel Oyston, and it's great to have you listening in wherever you are in the world at the moment. A little bit of business news on the sponsor front. We recently formalised a partnership with Event Workforce Group, an Australian company. We've known the guys there for a little while now and have often scratched each other's backs when we get the chance just to help each other out. However, as we both grow significantly and internationally, we thought it best to formalise how we can help each other, especially as we often talk to the same clients and the same people in our networks. How at the core of everything they do is the belief that Motivated and determined people largely contribute to the success of events. They are committed to connecting these hardworking, talented people with the best clients in the sports, events, and entertainment industry around the world, and it is the meaning behind their mantra, placement with a purpose. The guys have been kicking goals all over the world and boast Tough Mudder and the Rugby League World Cup as clients. And clients are always great for testimonials, and testimonials are awesome social proof that a business can deliver what they say they can deliver. And one of those is Andy Newman. Andy is Super Bowl 51 Director of Workforce, and he said, We have worked alongside the team at EWG Technology and their workforce management platform, Rostify, to set a new bar for the NFL by successfully delivering the largest ever volunteer workforce in Super Bowl history. So that's impressive stuff. So if you yourself are looking at ways to better engage with your staff and volunteers at your events, then head to eventworkforcegroup.com or if you email me using daniel at sponsor.net, then I'd be more than happy to make an intro directly for you. Shout out time. And this one goes to Soli Kola, who is the GM, Business Development at Mumbai City FC. Soli, I hope all is well in Mumbai and you are gearing up for a great season both on and off the pitch. Good luck. Before we hear from our guest this episode, Mark is uh, still hooked on the podcast with Trent Lation from Boom Sales. If you haven't already, head back two episodes, I think it is, to episode 36, and listen in. It is jam-packed full of awesome stuff for you. And that's why... Mark has written a blog looking at the three key people in an organization that you are trying to sell a sponsorship to that you really need to understand and navigate if you want to be successful. Here's Mark. Mark Thompson, welcome back to the country. Hey, mate. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. How was your trip? Yeah, it was very good, actually. Very successful. What'd you get up to? Um, Lots of traveling around the the old dart this time. You went to Ireland? Went to Ireland, went to Wales. Um, was that, you know, Yeah, Oxford. whatever. Did you go to the Guinness factory? Yes. Yeah, good. <laughs> and the rest, how was the rest of the trip? It was good. I mean, Guinness was was fantastic. Um, had my first experience of a beerista. What's that? Oh, so like a coffee pour barista. The, pour the beer because mm. the head of the Guinness is 
So oh, okay, yeah. Create little artwork in the top of the Guinness head. Pretty and, cool. And then put it all over your nose and lip. Yeah, then, <laughs> then it ends up in the guts within about three minutes. So apart from travel, what else do you love? <laughs> I love selling. Right. Why is that? Which is why I was traveling anyway. Yeah, it's exactly so, right. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it's a challenge, right? It's a constant challenge. That's why I like it, right? It's so dynamic. It changes all the time. Um, you need to be on your feet, use your brain. Um, and, and you need to work through little problems that are always different. Like there's never, you never make a sale that is the same as the one before. That's so, true. Yep. Yeah. So I'm, it just it challenges me and, it, and it's a constant dynamic environment. You've got to be nimble. Um, and it's a good mixture of process so you can always fall back onto process if you get in trouble but but it also that it allows you to sort of think on your feet and and, and be creative as you go through as well and, and try and you know be the best out there when you're especially in a competitive environment and part of that and and trent uh Lation from boom sales spoke about it in our last podcast or podcast four might have been two before yeah. um spoke about some of those key roles and and you've spent some time blogging about that and looking at those in a little bit more detail yeah it was episode 36 of our podcast was um translation from boom sales and he made some great points and there was like right through that podcast there's so many little gems and his book you know has hundreds of others but the one that carried the most weight in selling sponsorship for me was how to try and find the right person or people Mm. um to get through because it is a frustration for a lot of those people selling sponsorships that you know, people just say to them, oh, you've got to find the decision maker. But as we learn on Trent's podcast, that's actually not always the case. Mm. You know, the decision maker is the decision maker, but they're not the person that's deciding that this is the right product for them. They're, they're the, often the ones saying, yes, we can buy that product and here's the money, but they're not the one deciding is this the right product for us some of the time. So, mm. um, you know, as as a result of that, we learnt from, from Trent's uh, podcast that there are three key roles that you've got to try and identify. All right. Well, let, let's have a look at those in a little bit more detail. What's yep. the first one? Who, who do we need to know and what do we need to know about them? So, well, the first one is quite often used. You don't actually um, use this sort of person every time because you may have you may be the facilitator yourself, but the first one is the facilitator. Mm-hmm. So the facilitator is the person that wrote, knows the right people, can make the introduction through a sort of a trusted, friendly sort of source um, internally, they don't make the call, even though they might see the opportunity. Or external facilitators are often just trusted advisors that that are not realistically going to influence a decision, but they're just literally getting you in the door. Yep. But a lot of people get stuck there, especially on the internal influences. So you might know a, uh, you know, a, a person who's a, a corporate executive at a at a company. You get the in with them and you get stuck pitching to that person. And then, then then the pitch goes to that person and you follow up to that person and people follow up to that person. And that person either doesn't know how, doesn't have the influence to escalate the, the opportunity. They might not have the confidence to escalate the opportunity, but they're definitely not the decision maker. And, and I'm guessing, I know I've been in this situation before, I'm sure mm. you have as well, yeah. um, is that that... F- facilitator particularly if they're internal if you already have a relationship with them will be quite engaged yep. which gives you a lot of positive mm. signs and so you kind of run with that and you build with them but they're not yeah. uh, that that's not their key role in this process exactly and I'm, i mean i'm going through a process of this right now where and i've we've been introduced to an influencer um the influencer is not the decision maker struggling to even get in front of the decision maker because of a in a certain relationship there so what 
what we've done there is tr- gone to a, an external influencer. So using two influencers to get to the decision maker. Mm. And so um, that's the influencer. What's the next one? No, that's a facilitator. That's the sorry. The, the next one's the influencer. The influencer. Very is smooth the next one. segue there. See yeah. how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> so in a sales situation, the influencer asks sort of the question. So if you're ever in a sales environment, and I was actually I was having a conversation with a a sort of advisor that we've got here in Canberra yesterday over a coffee and I was talking to him about um, you know trying to identify the right people in a room and you know off the back of this conversation and, and one I'd had previously with him and it was it was all around you know um, being able who, who in the room can answer three questions so if you can't answer the third fourth or fifth question on a certain topic you're not you're not an expert you're on the fringes a little bit. Well, you're not an expert on it. You're not a pro- you're not a content sort of um, you know expert. You're you're not able to influence the decision because your depth of knowledge isn't strong enough to be able to actually provide any valuable feedback on an ongoing basis. Which internally at a business, those are the people that carry the most weight. They might not have the job title. They're often the ones though, that have been there longest. Because they're trusted they, expert. Correct. Yeah. They're a trusted person. So, they're, and they're often an influencer. So. You know, in a sales situation, the influencer is the person that asks questions, answers questions. They have a detailed understanding of the need, want, or problem that is trying to be solved. They have a real depth of knowledge to answer. The third question is what we're talking about there. I mean, it's easy for me to say to you, Daniel, what is sponsor? Daniel, why did sponsor? Can I take the question on notice? <laughs> why did we build sponsor? What does sponsor help you achieve? Who are you like? And then you can get, keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into a thing. Now, sooner or later, somebody who's just a board member or something of a business or, or a decision maker or somebody that's away from that process will stop at their knowledge. Mm. And influencers' knowledge will keep going. So you almost got to keep digging until you you know that if you keep digging, you're not going to hit the bottom. Correct. Well, then, and then that person, but it's just a you know it's a conversational type environment, mm. and subtly you're, you're just talking to the room. But one person will shine, and then, and often it's not a um, you know over in the UK on the most recent trip, we're up in uh, in Ireland dealing with a, a governing body of a sport. There was six people in the room. The decision maker was to my right. Person in the center of the room was definitely the influencer, the one that had the problem, the need, had been working there for twelve years, like was definitely the influencer and i'm guessing that not only do you ask them questions and keep digging you know third fourth fifth questions mm. but they're probably engaged in asking you reasonably tough questions challenging questions yeah now very so they're you know they're the ones that they're sometimes even a little bit and this will resonate with you with with our business sometimes early on those people are the biggest critics of what you're trying I was just going to say the same thing. They try and challenge and catch you out because they don't believe that you can... Correct, help yeah. them. Because yeah. they've been there so long stuck in what they're doing yeah. or, they've, or they've got sort of their own fixed views. But all, often, if you can... And we're different. If you can win over the influencer, <laughs> they will also be your biggest advocate. Yeah, I can see that. Because they, they'll then become the influencer to the decision maker who is the third spoke to this wheel yep the decision maker so they need to see the big picture so this it's a different pitch to a decision maker versus an influencer versus a facilitator the decision maker needs to see the big picture they're often outcomes based they'll lean on the influencer for input around you know this opportunity is worthwhile or what it will do functionally for the business and and we see that all the time don't we we get comments back from people saying i'll approve this but only if bob says that they really need this. Yeah, exactly right. We, you sort of, I was, you and I were having a conversation yesterday about a, an opportunity we've got where the, 
decision makers said, love Verbatim it. almost. Verbatim. Yeah. I love this. I need you to speak to my team. If my team come to me ask, want, saying they want this product, they can have this product because I love it. Mm. So he could see the outcomes. He could see the benefit for his business. But he needs to know it's going to be used. Which is interesting because airing a little bit of dirty laundry, we've quite often said behind closed doors, like, if the boss can see the opportunity and they know it's good, then, you know, they should just make the team use it. They shouldn't use yeah. it. The, the team shouldn't influence their decision. But over a period of time, you realise that mm. there's different personalities or, or different roles that people are playing there. You need the buy-in and this cross-functional sort of application. And as, when it comes to sponsorship, right, you might have the the head of marketing or head of brand going, yeah, this is a f- great fit for us. But the actual... You know, marketing coordinators or sponsorship people, if you're lucky enough to have a dedicated resource, need to be able to actually activate that partnership to drive the outcome. Mm. So the, the statistics and the data might be showing the, the head of department, this is a great sponsorship opportunity, but the people down below might be going, yeah, it looks good on numbers. I can't see how we activate this to an audience that we otherwise can't reach through other channels. Yep. You know, so it, it is you do need to win over a bunch of people. Mm. So we understand that. How do we navigate and, and, and move forward on that? Yeah, I mean, the first one in this seems a bit a little bit like schoolboy, but it is a little bit of trial and error. Because That's you've my favourite one. <laughs> yeah, especially when you're flying blind like you do. Um, <laughs> Who said that? Come closer. <laughs> um, so it is a bit of finding your own way because, you know, there is no, as we said earlier, there is process in selling. But, but it's also the need to have your own sort of touch and feel on, on how you go through that process. So, you know, trial and error is a way early in your career, especially how you find the best way of getting the responses you need to find the different roles of your audience. So being too structured removes your ability to converse in a room and be authentic and show interest in a conversation to be able to draw the right answers and the right people and engage the right people in a, in a sales situation. So... Trial and error is kind of, if you're new to this process, trial and error is a good, a really good sort of way to start. My trial and error would just be to ask, who's making the decision? <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's it. Often, some this most senior person will say me. That's not true. Yeah, true. Yeah. All right, so trial and error. Yeah, but you know, and then the next way is to ask questions. So make sure you ask questions. But then, you know, the the one of my old uh, bosses once said to me, he was from a consulting background. And I've said this on the podcast before, the best way to sell is to shut up and listen. Mm. So ask questions, but then let them talk. So your sales triggers will come from the answers that they give. The problems that they have will come out by the answers they give. The, the different personalities in the room will come out by the answers they give. It just occurred to me that a lot of salespeople probably think that they are pitching, and pitching is all about talking and presenting, where... You might get to a pitch eventually, but leading up to that, it's more about listening than talking, like you say. But a lot of people think, I've got one opportunity, I've got to pitch, and I've got to get everything out. Look, the, be- the best way to pitch is to, to, is, is to answer. To, it's like a CV. You've, you've, got a, you've got a big script, right, a, a, a big CV. But if you're applying for a job at a call centre, there's no need to tell people you've got a driver's licence, right? Like... You've got to tailor that pitch based on what these people are doing. And sometimes you need to tailor it on the spot because of the answers they're giving. You need to give them enough information. And, 
you know, you might have a whole suite of benefits that you could offer a, a sponsor. But if you, once you find out what their objectives are and what their interests are and what their capability to activate and use the, of, of, across your suite of assets, there's no point focusing on things that mean nothing to them. Well, interestingly enough, a, a guy I used to work for who's very smart around this stuff used to always start meetings with, look, we don't know whether we can help you. We don't know whether you sponsoring us will actually help you achieve your goals. So I want to, you know, I've done some research and I think we're in a good spot, but I want to come and talk to you because um, we might think, you know, there is no opportunity here, but, you know, and that removes the pressure to try and get a yes from that pitch, which a lot of yep. people rush towards, don't they? And and the, and this is, rings true as well for renewal. So renewal is just a, an internal sort of a, a sales opportunity for an upsell or you know renew business but it, it's also really important to ask questions around that finding out where value is being found and what they're finding seeing is important you might have some really great analytical figures against a certain you know asset but their their business may have moved away from that objective mm, mm. so trial and error yep. ask questions anything else research right so know enough about the organization to show an understanding and finish your research by asking as Trent says, masterful questions. <laughs> so um, this will allow you to find the angle that you can leverage to help solve the want, need or problem in a useful and mutually beneficial way. So, you know, go into the meeting, even the initial meeting, well-researched, but but not well enough researched that you're presuming stuff. So Trent's podcast was fantastic. Yep. I've been wanting to do one like that for a very long time. I finally got around to getting it done. <laughs> um Cross it off my to-do list. Yeah. Um, got lots of great feedback from it. Lots of people got in touch. Um, different things resonated with different people. Was there anything else that grabbed your attention out of it? Yeah, like there, I, th- I think there were some four four other real gems in that um, in that podcast. So the first one was the follow-up, and, and it was a really interesting statistic for me. And as you know, I'm mm. a, I'm a bit of a fan of statistics. It can take up to forty six percent of people are. <laughs> it can take up to eight follow-ups to be successful. And, yeah, and most salespeople give up after three or four. Oh, oh, to be fair, I'd give up after you, maybe not three or four, but I would you're never You're definitely get not eight. an eighter. I'm not an eight. No, no way. way. <laughs> well, on many levels, you're not an eight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nine and a half, thanks. <laughs> um, pivot to avoid the time wasters. So the time wasters is, is you know, what we're talking about mm. before. The facilitator being perceived as the influencer or even the decision maker. Pivot away from them. So know how to identify them, strategize to maneuver. But don't burn your bridges. Exactly. So yeah. that's what I was talking about before. We've, we've got a facilitator, you know, current live opportunity, got bogged a bit, found a mutual resource that both of us know, and that resource has kind of come in as a, oh, I can help you sort of get in, get get this positioned to your boss in a, in a nice way, which makes the original facilitator look good, but also accelerates our opportunity. Yep. So. Now, that's a strategy that we've used there. There's heaps of other ways around it. Confidence is, is the, the third one that I picked up, and, and you've hopefully everyone picked up how confident Trent was. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's confident because he knows his product, he knows himself, and he knows his process. So, and, and that's all he's selling is, is those three things, mm. but, he's, but they're very valuable commodities. So you've got to feel free to ask the right questions to find a resolution to whoever you're talking to. You know, you can't p- pigeonhole yourself as being, I'm a junior salesman, I can only speak to the facilitator. If you're a junior salesman worth your weight, you'll have the confidence to talk with f- factual information to the decision maker and the sort of influencer as well. And also the confidence to say, if you don't know the answer or you're not sure, 
Just just say it. People don't expect you to know everything. I, I I've got a bit of a, a sort of a story exactly on that from throughout my career was and and I had a uh, a person that worked for me once who was an event manager, and when she came to work for us, she always would say, "Yeah, I know." That was the the I know. Like you'd, you'd sort of be trying to help her. Yeah, I know. And she'd never ask questions, and then mistakes would happen all the time. And over a course of time, sort of one or two years, she became really, really good at her job, like excellent at her job. And then she started asking heaps more questions and getting feedback and how do I do this and all that. And that was because she was confident in her ability. She was comfortable with what she was doing and she was also, you know, comfortable that she was doing a good job. So rather than faking it before she made it like Mm. she was doing earlier, she was actually getting feedback from peers and then she accelerated. And now she's in some amazing job at at a... you know, really big brand. Very good. Was that three or four so far? That's I've three. lost count. I was too busy <laughs> making jokes. The fourth one is trust. Very good. And and it's not about trust in, in people. It's trust in yourself and trust in, in your product and to let it sell itself. And so that's, as Trent said, no discounts, right? So discount is a is a is either a, a really poor man sales tool or it's a last resort if they tell you pricing is an issue. Mm. So if they come to you and say, we love this product, but we just can't. We, our budget is this. We just can't come past that budget. Yeah, then there's a negotiation on the table, but you ask the question, are we negotiating? I love that question. So instead, I've asked my wife four times that question now. Has <laughs> <laughs> it gone well? I think I need to get Trent back on the phone. <laughs> You're not selling a, uh, a valuable commodity there, mate. So, so instead, the, the barrier to making the sale is most likely you know, what or how you're selling rather than the price. So if your product's good enough, your delivery and approach stands out as being suitable, then then you're on the right path. And then, you know, the the you know, we've made we've made sales recently since we've become more confident in our product and our product has developed, where the, the price actually has never been discussed. Mm. And then they, they people will just pay what it, what they'll pay because the product sells itself. Yeah. It is very interesting. So we know those three key roles. We know a little bit more about them. We've got some ideas to to navigate, to find those people and how to manage them. Um, There's lots of other great things that jumped out. But we also know that um, lots of others... Lots of our other listeners and and on both sides, brands and rights holders, sell, have been in sales roles. And so they've developed lots of hints, tips, Mm. tricks, all that sort of stuff. So if you're listening and you've got something you'd love to share with the group, get in contact with us uh, on the emails or hit us up on LinkedIn or join one of the conversations on the 14 or 15 um, LinkedIn groups that we've posted this blog into and and pose the question. Give Give us some feedback and we'll share it with others. Well, there's no monopoly on good ideas. So, you know, they're just some... Small snippets we took from Trent, but I'm, I'm sure there's, you know, half a dozen to a dozen more out there that will help everybody. Very good. And I'll even throw a shout out in the show yeah. for you. So if you want to um, read through that stuff more slowly, just head to sponsor.net uh, and head to the resources and then the blog section. Cheers, mate. You don't often come across brands or their staff who are vocal about sponsorship on social media, but Dan Freistack is one who is, and not only does Dan post on LinkedIn about things others don't, he does so in a way that generates discussion and the sharing of ideas. Dan is the Senior Manager Brand and Sponsorship at CDW, and so I came up with the idea to invite him on the show and base the majority of the chat around his LinkedIn posts, and uh, look, To be honest, it was the easiest interview question set I've ever written. Um, Dan basically wrote it for me because I just went through his LinkedIn feed and pulled out his posts and reworked them into questions. Here's Dan. 
Dan Freistack, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. We always kick off with a few easy icebreaker questions just to just to get the interview going, uh, to get the audience to get to know you a little bit better. And look, most people would normally say the the obligatory uh, family, pets, laptop, or phone. But if your house was on fire, what's the next thing you take? Uh, well, it's a it's a dark thought to start this, but. Um, <laughs> I, I would probably say, uh, given that choice, I'd probably say my golf clubs then. I think I'd need a, a little bit of a, a stress reliever if uh, my house was going to burn down. So, you know, I'll say my golf clubs, assuming, you know, family, pets and all that uh, important stuff is already uh, out and safe. Of course, and then the golf clubs. Um, second icebreaker question is, what was your first ever job? So my first job ever was working as a uh, grocery store bagger, right? So the guy who puts all the stuff uh, into the cart for you uh, after checkout. But that lasted approximately five weeks because I was a teenager and a uh, a girl that I liked uh, asked to spend some time with me on a weekend. And I was uh, I was on the schedule. And when they wouldn't let me when they wouldn't let me have the day off, I decided to abruptly quit to go spend time with her. So that was a, uh, a short-lived first role uh, in the professional world. Yeah, I know this is a podcast and you can't see me, but I'm doing a little golf clap here at this end for you. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> so um, from uh, grocery uh, bagger uh, through to uh, your current role, what, what's been your experiences leading up to your current role at CDW? Yeah, no, that's that's an interesting question. I think everybody has, uh, especially in the sports entertainment world, everybody has uh, a bit of a different path. There's no real straight line. Um, I, out of school, I worked a couple of different marketing roles in the agency side and uh, kind of bouncing around, figuring out what I wanted to do. Uh, then after uh, a couple of years, the recession hit pretty bad and uh, if you remember, you know, working on the agency side, it was, you know, all of a sudden people are losing clients left and right, uh, followed by agency layoffs. And uh, I was lucky enough that I never got laid off myself, but looking around, seeing friends fall to the side and uh, seeing some of the writing on the wall here and there, decided to look for what I felt was more sturdy work at a, at a large uh, organization. And that's when uh, I found CDW, actually. And, uh, when I, when I originally applied, I just wanted anything. I just wanted to go somewhere that seemed, uh, sturdy and foundational, uh, as a, as a young person in the workforce. And so I took a role as a project manager at CDW and not really having any experience in the field or knowing what to expect, but I did that for, um, about a year and a half. And then as luck would have it, a new role opened up, primarily managing the sponsorship relationship with the PGA Tour. And the prerequisites were uh, somebody who had a uh, background in both marketing and project management. So all of a sudden, I was this hyper-qualified candidate. So um, it gave me an opportunity to get back into marketing, which I wanted to do, and uh, certainly to 
begin more specific sports marketing work, which is uh, where I knew I really wanted to go um, all along. So really a fortuitous turn of events, really based on uh, an original move made out of desperation. So it was remiss of me to, or I should ask at this point now, for those not familiar with CDW, who are they and what do they do? Sure. So CDW is a uh, multi-billion dollar um, IT solutions and services provider. We're based out of uh, North Chicago area. So the suburbs about 20 minutes outside of Chicago. We were a uh, U.S. We are a U.S. based company, but we've recently gone international uh, with the acquisition of uh, an organization called, formerly called Calway, now CUW UK, based out of England. So we are a large and growing uh, company in the Fortune 200, and we are we've shifted our our priorities quite a bit. When we originally started, it was primarily uh, transactional IT hardware, right? So laptops and servers and things of that core uh, IT nature we could provide to, we could provide it quickly and with uh, great service. Uh, and that was back in the 80s. And now uh, where we are, we really are a full-scale IT solutions and services provider with unmatched uh, partner, an unmatched partner vendor network, as well as unmatched um engineering and service delivery background and uh, resources here internally. So you're now the senior manager brand and sponsorship at CDW. What does a, a typical week look like for you? And I'm, I'm especially interested in, in what some of the standard elements are that are important to you to help you ensure that everything runs smoothly or even things that are important for you from a personal perspective. Like, for example, you might spend 15 minutes on LinkedIn each morning while having a coffee or you read the paper, those sorts of things. Sure. No, that, and that's, as your career moves on, I've certainly noticed more and more uh, what I do more than anything else to help keep my head on straight is to compartmentalize, um, have so many different things that we are working on on a, on a daily basis, so many different teams, so many different properties within those teams and properties, so many elements, whether it's uh, financial management, um, asset development, uh, creative review, et cetera, et cetera. There's just so many different um, practices within each one of the relationships that we have underneath our portfolio that I like to really separate my day through a series of weekly and biweekly meetings uh, with various stakeholders so that we're always staying organized and not letting anything slip through the cracks. Um, I know you mentioned checking LinkedIn and sort of the personal sanity element of it. You know that that kind of falls into the same uh, the same approach. I generally will check LinkedIn or um, post to LinkedIn or something along those lines before I even get into work. Uh, I kind of start a conversation or check in on some things that I may have been interacting with people on, uh, and then I'll check again around lunch or whenever I might have time. But you know, maybe once or twice throughout the day, but not to any depth, not like I would prior to getting to the office, but. Um, beyond that, really, it's it's making sure that I'm keeping constant communication on the books so that uh, I'm staying honest about the things that we need to stay on top of 
with our various stakeholders. And frankly, they can hold me accountable too. And when you have so many different things going on and you feel like you're drinking from the fire hose most days, <laughs> it's really helpful to keep that level of consistency. And as I said, compartmentalize across these various functions um, within each deal that we have in place. I like that analogy of drinking from the fire hose. With your permission, I'm going to use that. <laughs> sure. It's, uh, I tell you, sometimes it feels like the only accurate way of putting it. It sounds like my life. Okay, so you um, you, <laughs> you uh, alluded to your sponsorship portfolio uh, in that answer. Can you, can you outline CDW's sponsorship portfolio for us? Sure. We are uh, – I mentioned – the first uh, the first deal I worked on here was our PGA Tour sponsorship. We are the official technology partner of the PGA Tour, and that is absolutely our our tentpole relationship. It is our only league level deal, um, but we do have several relationships uh, applying the same principles, but at a at a team or property level deal. So uh, we have multiple relationships, uh, team deals. We have four now in the NFL a couple in the NHL, um, two more in the NBA and MLB. And we also have uh, two to three um, in any given year, two right now, uh, in the collegiate landscape, so the NCAA. So we are fairly well diversified. We have a couple of relationships that go beyond sports, but sports is certainly our focus. Um, on the entertainment side, we you know, we work directly with the AEG group who obviously own entertainment properties uh, across the globe, uh, as well as with um, Westfield malls and some other places that offer some signage and um, other off-domain digital opportunities that uh, go a little bit beyond, again, the sports or even traditional entertainment world. So we're fairly well diversified at this point. And at a meta level, in that sponsorship portfolio, what are the what are the main objectives that you're looking to achieve for CDW? Yeah, that's uh, that's the million dollar question, right? Why do we do this? And I view sponsorship as an extension of our overall brand approach. And what I'm trying to specifically do is change people's mind about who we are. Most people who have heard of CDW or have crossed paths with CDW, being a primarily B2B organization, when I say primarily, that's understanding it. We are 99.9% B2B. <laughs> we are, we're not, uh, you know, we're not Best Buy where you're going to uh, interact with our people on a daily basis unless you have significant business needs or any CPG group or anything like that. And what happens in that space is the first interaction you have with CDW is long lasting. There's a half-life on there that, uh, that goes far beyond uh, the evolution of who we've become as a business. And so when I mentioned CDW starting back in the eighties and even through the nineties and early two thousands, we were what's known in our industry as a direct market reseller or a DMR, which means, you know, we, we have access access to a lot of different products and we can put it all together uh, and ship it out to you overnight and, and do it with great service. And that's really evolved into what I mentioned before as a full-scale solutions and services provider with um, 
engineering resources and project management and ongoing maintenance and, and everything that you need as any business, hospital, government building, et cetera, uh, setting up your IT needs. And so what I really try to do in any of the deals that we have in place is I know the, the term storytelling is, is played out and cliche, but what I'm really trying to do is educate people on who we are and what our business has become. And when you have these sponsorship properties where you can go in and with this very shiny platform display a solutions or service capability uh, that people were not aware that you had, but now they're seeing it firsthand through the lens of something that hopefully they love and has great interest to them. It really allows us to tell a story and not even us tell a story, but that property to tell the story of CDW in a way that I'm never going to be able to shouting it from a mountaintop. And so we look for opportunities in the sponsorship world to talk about who CDW has become as a business, where we're going as a business, and the unique problems that we're able to solve uh, on the IT side for, you know, if we can do it for them, look what we can do for you kind of thing. Mm, I think that's a great answer, particularly about uh, showcasing what you can do through somebody else's lens. Just as a as a ballpark, just to help us solidify how important sponsorship is to CDW, just roughly what percentage of the marketing budget is spent on sponsorships each year? Sure, it, it fluctuates a little bit, but generally speaking, anywhere between 10 and 13%. Uh, I think that... A lot of people on the outside get the impression we we spend much more than that, and uh, it can lead to a lot of outreach. But uh, I take it as a compliment that uh, we're getting a lot of a lot of reach from the uh, the limited spend that we do have. Well, on that outreach, what catches your eye from others when a sponsorship proposal comes in or a request to start a conversation? What what gets cut through with you as a business? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because we do receive a lot of outreach, I imagine, as, as any uh, sponsoring body does. And what I really appreciate more than anything is someone who's taken time to really understand our business. And I don't mean go to our website and spend two minutes so that uh, they know who we are and what we sell. But really, you can find pretty clearly – through a half an hour of research online, how do we leverage sponsorship? Which properties do we work with? What things do you see on there that are interesting or might be relevant uh, to the properties that you have and are trying to sell to CDW? Um, what are we doing that you don't think is that great or is good but could be better that you might be able to leverage? Now, I know that uh, the sales game, it's it, it can be tough and you don't want to spend too much time on a property that you have no guarantee is going to move toward a new deal. But for me, just knowing that the time has, has been spent trying to understand our business and how their property might positively impact it. And then showing that to me within the first five minutes or in the first five sentences, that is going to go a long way toward a longer meeting, a second meeting, and a potential deal. Mm, I hope there's a lot of people listening who uh, who take note of that. Now, um, Dan, I'm not sure how I actually found you on LinkedIn. I probably saw you like or comment on a, on a mutual connections activity and just followed the trail. But 
since connecting with you, I have really loved your your thought-provoking posts. In fact, I think they're so good that I've basically framed uh, the rest of most of this chat around <laughs> those posts. So most of these questions are just me uh, reworking your posts a little bit and reading them to you and then adding a little rounding out at the end to ensure it is a question. So the first one is um, you posted the collegiate collegiate space can be difficult to navigate should you do a deal with a school a conference an agency which one or how about the entire NCAA given the many options you'll often have multiple comparable properties for sponsorship that will achieve your objectives Dan when that is the case what is the deciding factor for you how do you go about understanding that one important factor and then going and making a decision yeah, it's uh, that's a that's a tough nut to crack. Uh, in that, exactly what you laid out there is, is very true, right? There's so many different groups that you can do a deal with and theoretically achieve the the goals that you've uh, you set out to accomplish. In that, you know, when you when you've identified certain spaces and you you believe you want to strike a deal with a let's just say a professional sports team. Um, generally speaking, once you break it down by geography and, uh, we'll just say what you're trying to do from a hosting or experiential perspective, you're going to be down to one or two options, right? And that's not always the case, but generally speaking, you can whittle it down pretty quickly on, based on broad parameters. If you've decided that you want to specifically use the collegiate or, you know, in the U S the, the NCAA space, there are several agencies involved. Uh, there are conferences, there's teams, there's, um, you know, there's divisions, right? There are, there's the NCAA as a whole. There's, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And each one uh, has a certain level of ability to negotiate uh, assets. Sometimes those assets are shared, right? So you really do have to do your homework and understanding who's going to be able to provide the most value and quite frankly, deliver without any hindrance against the assets that they've promised in any relationship. And uh, at that point, what I really do is rely on individuals that I know that I've spent some time with, or I've had uh, longstanding respect for based on their position in the industry. Now, the sports entertainment, uh, sports marketing industry, it is a, um, it is a very small uh, collection of actors, right? There are, it is very, very much a, uh, uh, a group where there is movement of a small amount of people and reputations form and you end up working with somebody in one place five years ago that you may work with them again later two years and then three years later, all at different properties. So I really do my own research to determine where I want to be, uh, what I want to accomplish, whittle it down to a pool of a few, do some research around assets and, and things that they have that are going to make the most sense for us. And then from there, really, I, I focus on the human element. Who do I trust and who do I know that I can count on to deliver against the things that they're promising they can deliver on? I think that's an insightful comment about people moving around the industry and how you cr- your paths will probably cross sometime in the future. I think a lot of people forget that sometimes. Um, you posted the NFL 
was the first truly 12-month sport, just no off-season anymore. The NBA has done an amazing job building around the draft and trade season and now is close to a 10-month sport. As leagues continue to grow, they're offering beyond just the things between the lines. It offers more opportunity for new sponsors to activate and create a platform. Dan, how much of a risk is category bifurcation if you take advantage of those new opportunities? And what new opportunities actually excite you in this, in this space, those outside the line, so to speak? Yeah, it, that's a great that's a great question around what actually excites you in that space because it just being available is not necessarily uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a good thing, right? It's about what is available within there uh, <laughs> that really you know you need to think about. And uh, I talked about this a little bit uh, in a in a separate post, and uh, I think it's really interesting what's happening now that. As as an example, the Chicago Cubs and Wrigley Field, they've bought up a lot of land around the field and they've been creating new venues for entertainment, large uh, screen viewing with movie night, uh, having space outside the stadium for an ice rink, having a hotel next door with conference space, having high-end restaurant experiences right there, all tied to the Wrigley Field and Chicago Cubs brand, but having none of it take place inside the stadium, having none of it tied to uh, games or hosting of that regard. And what it's done is it's afforded the opportunity to align yourself with the brand, potentially as a technology company, right? But this applies to any industry, work with them on technology solutions, right? Around maybe a connected hotel or you know, some sort of um, uh, deal around even even probably or, even probably virtual reality will start to impact on that space right. even further, won't it? Right. There, I, exactly. Right. There's so many different elements. Maybe people in the hotel will have an opportunity to leverage VR so that they get the view behind home plate without having to actually buy a ticket. Now. Again, not speaking specifically of the Cubs anymore, but let's say there's any baseball team and they already have a technology partner, right? The official technology partner of X baseball team. Well, now they have an opportunity to bring in new technology partners that can help them with this Mm. outside the stadium piece. Um, There's new naming rights opportunities for various uh, gates or uh, ticket counters or, you know, the aforementioned... uh, ice rink, right? There's different and new properties that you can apply a business solution to as well as gain some, whether it's brand or experiential element from a pure marketing perspective that really were just not available five, 10 years ago. And I believe it's really going to be the direction that every team takes as they look to continue to expand revenue opportunity. Yeah, I think it's a it's a pretty interesting point because you can't make the players play anymore. But in theory, you could have a band playing in a precinct 365 days a year if you wanted to, and that would draw a lot of people into the precinct in and around and gives the team not only the opportunity to add new income streams, but also engage with that audience and potentially convert them into fans of the team if they aren't already. Well, no, that's that's a great point, and uh, I agree 100%. It also... Conversely, it limits guerrilla marketers, 
right? So the guys who are going to go in and maybe not do a straight up deal with a property, but rather buy up inventory at a cheaper level in and around it and hope that the consumer is going to assume a certain connection that may not exist that is frustrating for both the property and the brand. The more that you take ownership of the entire experience around what your property has versus just what's inside your walls, the more it's difficult for those guerrilla marketers to come in and and assume some level of ownership when uh, it hasn't been uh, purchased or earned. Good point. You posted that reach, Q-score, brand alignment, many things go into choosing a celebrity or athlete for brand endorsement work. Then you went on to outline the one thing you look for. Dan, what is that one thing? But also, is there anything else that you do and you look for when choosing an endorsement personality? Yeah, and I should be clear that it's everybody is looking to accomplish different things, right? And investment points are going to vary depending on what you're trying to accomplish. And CDW has a history in this space. We had a longstanding relationship with Charles Barkley as a brand ambassador, spending time in our TV commercials and our major ad campaigns for several years. And it was a wonderful relationship and uh, we loved every second of it. And it really helped put CDW on the map nationally for uh, our products and services and our our value prop. And that was absolutely with that goal in mind. That said, on the sports entertainment side and what we do from a sponsorship perspective, I mentioned earlier, we're a B2B organization. We sell in the technology category. Our demo, right, for our customer is such that we're going to be doing if we're going to be doing high profile events and inviting customers out and uh, trying to gain mindshare and bring some of these brand ambassadors out, they need to be able to hold an intelligent conversation <laughs> with a C-level customer for more than a couple of minutes. And, you know, name and cachet and uh, the, you know, the whole flashy uh celebrity thing that, you know, that goes a long way. Don't get me wrong. There's, there's certainly value in it, but we want our people to engage and we want them to uh, be interesting. And if you get somebody and trust me, we've done it in one-off situations before uh, you invite somebody out in that capacity, who's going to speak with a customer and 30 seconds in they're looking at their watch and can't put together an intelligent conversation beyond that, uh, the flash and sizzle goes away real quick and it turns into just an awkward conversation. So we really do look for, again, beyond all of the things that, of course, everybody looks for in their due diligence process, right? Making sure it's somebody with um, the qualities that align with what you're trying to accomplish on the brand and, um moral and ethical alignment and all that good stuff. We want somebody who can come in and have an intelligent conversation with somebody that, you know, on the customer side, we might be asking to make uh, a large purchase from CW down the line. Yeah. No, I think that's interesting. I think you, you, you spoke about the flash and the sizzle that's going to be there even like it's not an or proposition. It should be the flash and the sizzle, and then it's extended and and much more engaged for your potential client if that endorsement person or personality can hold a conversation. 
I think it's a good point. 100%. A, a couple of weeks ago, you posted that the transition has been taking place for some time, but with this morning's news of Intel's Olympic deal, tech is officially the number one endemic in sponsorship. Can't wait to see the innovation they bring to the platform. Dan, if you're a rights holder, and look, most of them are going to have a tech sponsor or official tech partner, or maybe they are looking to bring one on, is it enough to just have one on the books or is it imperative to really focus on what innovation they can actually bring to the organisation and be a true partner? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think that it's not like – tech is not like, um, you know, the classic pouring rights wars, right, between (laughs) Coke and Pepsi or – uh, any of those traditional relationships where if you buy in, now you have that consumer-facing business. It's it really, more than any other sponsorship category, tech has the ability to enhance the fan experience. And in this era of really all efforts in the stadium side, uh, both sports and entertainment, music, whatever – are focused on decouching, right? Things have gotten so convenient and such a great experience from the palm of your hand or on, you know, sitting on your butt at home. You really need to do everything you can to turn the the fan experience on event day into something that they cannot replicate in any other way. And so bringing on a tech partner who's able to, to really help push that to the next level is going to become more and more imperative. And so I know it's easy to maybe go for the biggest check up front uh, if you're on the sales side or, you know, we mentioned this before, but uh, a lot of sales staff in the sports entertainment and sponsorship world are, you know, guys cycle in and out. And so it's easy for them to perhaps focus on just getting the next deal uh, so that next check gets cut before they eventually move uh, up or along. It's imperative that leadership in those organizations understand what their tech partner can bring to help, frankly, not just enhance the fan experience, but um, set them up for future growth, leveraging what these tech improvements can do to help grow their partnership business in, in other segments beyond technology. I'm really the, the the next question really struck a chord with me because I 100% agree I think it's it's often forgotten or overlooked because you posted a key objective too often forgotten in sponsorship activation is internal employee engagement the soft benefits like providing a a coworker morale boost an increased sense of community or injecting fun into the workday they're all very real, but the hard benefits are there too. Co-workers and particularly sales co-workers are more likely to derive value from a sponsorship, i.e. leverage its assets more effectively, showcase the partnership to customers as a living white paper, etc. if they feel a sense of pride and ownership of the relationship. Dan, how does CDW leverage their sponsorships for internal employee engagement and ensure that it actually cultivates pride and ownership of your sponsorships? Yeah, so we've done it in a in a variety of ways, and and I agree. I think it's it's easy to just look at that as, um, you know, something as a nice to have versus a must have when you look at return on ob- objective for any of your deals. And I view it as critical. So, 
just a couple of examples here, but with the PGA Tour, we specifically have a piece of our deal being access to their various TPC courses, which are their direct uh, affiliation courses with the PGA Tour, where we'll have access to private courses, reduced rates. So all over the country, um, our salespeople can either bring people out or attend themselves uh, using these golf courses and having a more direct connection uh, with what we're doing in the professional golf space. Uh, Taking in all of our deals with various sports teams, making sure that a percentage up to 10% often is set aside for uh, whether it's a sales incentive or some sort of, um, you know, coworker engagement platform where, Hey, these two sweet nights we're going to use for, you know, various um, great work submissions, right? Things like that, where people can feel engaged with these things and in a very tangible way, they get to actually experience it so that when we're out there and we're talking about it, they can say, or they can see it and not feel so removed, especially, you know, when you work for a company as large as ours, right? Not everybody interacts daily with what we're doing on the marketing side, but if they're able to experience it and feel it firsthand and really understand some of the benefits of, of what we're uh, taking to our customers, it's, it makes it more real for them and it makes it more connected in a way that uh, it's not when they just read about what we're doing on Twitter or something like that. As you were discussing that and, and employees actually being part of the sponsorship, what's your thoughts on, it occurred to me that if people are actually engaged with the sponsorship, it probably heads off that most basic perception that might be wrong, that the company just throws money to outside organizations for flashy flashy sponsorships and doesn't actually care about the employees as much yeah it's i would say that that uh that perception is going to be there no matter what right all it takes is a uh for somebody to be somewhat removed from it right and there's going to be an assumption oh that's the fun stuff it, it, it's not different than um criticism that myself or people uh in my shoes might might occasionally receive and i don't you know i don't mean to sound all woe is me or or anything like that uh it's just i think there is going to be a perception always that oh that's the fun stuff right that's you know that's easy and uh that's uh you know uh god i'd love to have that job and don't get me wrong i love my job but at the same time that extra level of scrutiny is what drives us to be even more focused on showing results and showing uh, proof of performance and the strategy behind doing what we do and being very meticulous in our financials and really trying to make sure that all bases are covered so that everything we're doing is translatable beyond just the marketing department, right? But to the salespeople who uh, want to understand the impact to our finance group, to the boardroom, whomever, so that you know, that perception is over time chipped away and people begin to really see the value outside of just, uh, you know, what we're preaching on the marketing side. My next question was going to be around a post that um, that you put on LinkedIn that was around when sales pitches start with a 15-minute Q&A, the, the, the rights holder doesn't feel like they're being a good listener or engaged in my success, but I, I, I'm pretty confident I think I know what the answer is going to be based on an earlier one about people doing uh, research on, on your business. But past that, 
What's one other thing that really turned you off in that in, in a sponsorship pitch? I would say personally, it's when the examples that are given to me of past successes have literally zero to do with my business. Um, it does not matter to me how much brand alignment with your property helped sell more bags of Doritos, right? There's just, uh, <laughs> there's very little alignment in how that example could apply to me. So I, I always like to see when people have thought about, again, alluding to what I said before, but how this could really work with the things that we've done in the past and apply to our business, or at least our sort of business versus um, proof points against things that, you know, literally have zero value to me. You posted teams and rights holders that provide sponsor-specific predictive analytics for their sponsorship assets are separating themselves from the pack. If you have confidence in your product and the data to back it up, what a powerful pitch component. Dan, is it a deal killer for you if a pitch doesn't include predictive analytics? And if so, why? And then ultimately, how much importance do you actually place on predictive analytics when deciding on a sponsorship? So I certainly wouldn't say it's a deal killer. I I don't think anybody, um, it's certainly not happening now at the level that I think it could be. Right. So if I said it was a deal killer, I probably wouldn't have any deals. Um, (laughs) but what I do think is the properties that have begun taking this path, really, it shows a confidence in what they're doing, right. And a belief that is backed up, not just by, you know, what they feel in their heart, but rather the numbers that they can put on paper. Uh, I think that that grabs my attention immediately because the reality is on the flip side, sponsors are getting smarter about this stuff, right? We're all doing some level of ROI analysis at this point. Uh, If they're not, uh, you know, more power to you, but, uh, and good work if you can get it. But most people like me are, are going to be doing, uh, research and reviews of performance anyway. So the properties that are coming to us and saying, Hey, I know what you're going to be looking to do here. And a, I believe what we're doing works. Here's the numbers. And B, let me save you some money in third party research by providing it up front. So you can save time and money and feel confident that we can deliver against what we say we're going to deliver. Mm, And particularly if that research is third party, it's independent. It's not research that they've done internally to help try and get a deal across the line. Absolutely. You posted, I don't want customers walking away saying, I had a great time at the game. I want customers saying, I had a great time at Dan's event at the game. Now, Dan, considering there's a bunch of variables around the game that you can't control personally, what do you do to try and get them walking away and actually saying, I had a great time at Dan's event at the game? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I think that the best way to answer that would be with an example. Um, we have uh, one of our sports sponsorships is with the, uh, the NFL team, the Indianapolis Colts. And it's a big market for us. It's an important market for us. Within the uh, the asset mix, we have a couple of different suite nights, which, you know, you host 30 customers at a game in a, in a private suite and they have a great time. 
Uh, I think for for many properties, and uh, I'm not necessarily knocking in, it just doesn't work for us, that's kind of the end of it, right? Invite them out to the game. They have a great time. You probably get some valuable business interaction with those people, and you have them confined to a space for three to four hours, and that's great. But ultimately, I believe those people are still going to walk away saying, wow, what a great game that was. And to get them saying what I want them to say, which is I could not have done this with, I could not have had this experience without CDW. What we'll do is we'll bring them to the game. Sure. But to come get their ticket, they need to come meet us at the techno liner, which is a 50 foot uh, it solution laden vehicle that we have that travels around the country. It's going to be parked outside the stadium it's going to have all of the latest tech from our partners inside. We're going to have a solutions engineer in there to uh, ask questions, answer questions, and really have a tech-focused conversation and learn about those customers along with our salespeople that are already hosting these people. So they're going to have an immediate tech experience. From there, they'll go into the game. They'll go up into the suite, and they'll, you know, it'll be the same as anybody else's, right? It'll be a private suite with great food, great beverage, all that good stuff. But at halftime, since we have a relationship with the team, we're going to have the CIO come down. And with him, we'll have them bring the Lombardi trophy from the title that they won a few years ago. And the CIO is going to come in and he's going to talk about the work that CDW and the Colts have done together and how they've been able to advance their tactical capabilities and how that's aided uh, on-field performance, how that's helped fan engagement, et cetera, et cetera. Then people get to take photos with the trophy and send, you know, selfies back to their friends that, um, you know, are going to impress everybody and, uh, you know, kind of do the, whoa, look at me thing. And post on social media. Exactly. Right. Uh, And then after the game, we're going to take them down into the field and they're going to kick field goals with the Colts kicker and the Kiri. Oh, yeah. And, And all the while, we'll have CUW branding blasting through you know the led and all the screens and everything so that every photo captured our branding and our imagery is going to be in there content focused uh etc etc and so at the end of that while only really adding about 25 minutes to the overall experience and i would say 25 minutes that they'd like to have they're going to walk away saying, wow, I could not have just gone and purchased that. I couldn't go to StubHub and, and buy tickets to that experience. I was only able to experience that because of my relationship with CDW. They learned about who we are as a business. They learned about our capabilities as a provider. And we provided them, again, with something that they're going to walk away always remembering and remembering it was from us. A couple of episodes ago, I, uh, I, I announced that Stuart Ramsey from Southampton Football Club in the Premier League uh, in the UK gave the greatest ever answer on our podcast. But Dan, I think that runs a very, very close second and we might get a review from the judges. I think, that, I think, I think that's a fantastic answer and I think it shows some real thought being put into uh, elements that you can build around that hospitality. I mean, we, we live in a city. There's a couple of foot, uh, professional sports teams here. 
a lot of the time you're turning down tickets from people to go to the games in suites. Yeah. And to be honest, like one suite to the next suite, you don't get treated any differently. Some of the businesses don't put any effort into anything of that that level. But And you might not have big budgets to execute it, but just some thought into how you can leverage having those people in a room over and above, here's some food and some cold drinks and some beers and watch the football and I'll come around and spend the obligatory five minutes having a chat to you and see how you're going. I think that's a fantastic answer um, and I hope a lot of people are going away and, and scratching some notes about what they can build into their hospitality experiences. Um, you you know, and I really, not to, I'm sorry, just to dovetail really of course. quickly. If you, have, if you have that relationship, right, if you have that relationship that nobody else can have because you have that piece of the category, why would you not maximize it in a way that nobody else can, right? Because our competitors can still buy a suite and take people out, mm. right? But they can't do, they can't take it to the level that we can take it as a result of this relationship. And so to me, um, an asset without activation, you know, it's like, a, it's like a goal without a plan. It's just a wish, right? Mm. So it's, uh, Ultimately, we, we make sure that we maximize what we have. Okay, this is the last question for you. I think this is going to be a good one as well. You posted, I am surprised brands don't tie their sponsorship marketing more consistently with their cause-based marketing. And recently you did that through an activation on the PGA Tour that supported Operation Homefront. Firstly, tell us what Operation Homefront is about and then what the activation was and also how you came up with the great idea because I've watched the video and we'll provide some links. How did you come up with that idea? Oh, I'm glad that you uh, you watched it there. Well, the or first and foremost, uh, Operation Homefront is a military uh, based charity that's focused on helping uh, veterans and their families once they return home, right? And it's it's about as worthy a, a cause as you're going to find. And he he. Um, yeah, no, it's it really is a strong cause, and I encourage anybody who's unfamiliar or even those that are to to look into it. And if uh, if you're interested in getting involved in that space, they are 100% one that I would uh, I would back up uh, in terms of worthiness. So, what we wanted to do um, in that one, and that was actually it's part of a larger series that uh, we created earlier this year called Tech Four. We were really looking for an opportunity to combine some of the things that we're doing in the PGA tour space with some of the things that we do in the CR space. And it seemed like a very natural fit and operation Homefront is an organization that we've supported um, for a long time here at CDW and the PGA tour has also supported. And when we took a step back, we thought, well, how do we not, or how do we find a way to leverage our combined strength to support this cause instead of, uh, you know, always working separately. And so this program, broadly speaking, Tech 4, the goal is to bring both uh, our access to both technology and golf to uh, worthy causes that may not otherwise um, have access to it, uh, or at least not easy access. And I think we all recognize that golf is a, is a game that uh, it can teach you a lot of great things, not just about uh, the sport itself, but about sportsmanship, about patience, about etiquette, things that uh, have a lot of value beyond, you know, just the uh, just the surface of the playing field. 
And, um, but it's also, it can be difficult to access, right? Not everybody has a golf course in their backyard. It can cost money to get it. And so Full clubs. what we wanted to do, yeah, golf club. I mean, really it's shoes. And, you, and need well. you need the shoes. <laughs> you need shoes and you need to play consistently, right? It's, it can be a very tough game to just pick up and have fun, um, if you go out there in the first time, you, you can't even hit the ball off a tee. Well, so, if you play like me, you also um, need to take a lot of balls with you. <laughs> well, I've been playing for some time, and uh, rare is the day that I don't go through at least a sleeve that uh, <laughs> ends up in a lake somewhere. So don't feel too bad about it. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, this program, we wanted to – we wanted to take the CDW connection to the professional golf world and the PGA tour specifically. And we wanted to begin pointing it toward a, a direction that wasn't going to just benefit us. And so this program has allowed us to do it. And every time we have an activation, we aim to do, uh, we've done three so far this year, we're going to uh, end up doing six and we'll, we're going to try to do more in 2018, but every single activation we end up, uh, donating to that cause somewhere between sixty and a hundred thousand dollars worth of technology uh, and technology services. So not in not an insignificant uh, donation to uh, to that piece of it. And so beyond that, though, we're also going to incorporate golf, as I said. And um, the golf piece it could be in the form of we've worked with the boys and girls club of los angeles where we donated a full-on golf simulator to a boys and girls club in urban los angeles most of these kids have never uh, seen someone play golf let alone play themselves and now they have their very own high-end simulator that they can access anytime they're at the boys and girls club along with that we worked with an organization called the first t whose sole focus is educating youth on um, getting more involved with the game. And so we set up a, uh, a program where the first tee of Los Angeles would come out on a weekly basis and teach these kids how to use a simulator. So they're not just going in there swinging aimlessly, having fun, certainly, but teaching them the fundamentals of the game. So maybe they can take it on, you know, after a year and go do it themselves and really try to try to learn and experience. So we really tried to use the program to bring both of these very important things. The Operation Homefront example that you mentioned in Dallas was uh, was more recent than the one I just uh, talked about, but same idea. And you know, certainly when I mentioned in my LinkedIn post about why not do it or why do places not do this more frequently, uh, there is certainly and one hundred percent we are primarily focused on the good that we could do with these things. But the reality is it's, it's a great story, right? And if you work in the brand marketing side and you're able to talk about what you're doing, how you're using technology to better connect these worthy causes, you're using golf to provide access to things that people might not have access to. You're talking about who you are as a brand and what you are as a in our case, an IT solutions and services provider, but you're doing it in a compelling way that's going to draw interest. People are going to be interested from a media perspective, from a social perspective. You're going to get a lot of the benefits that you would from a traditional marketing campaign, but you're going to be doing it in a way that is going to heighten the profile of your sponsorship as well as aid these causes that are so worthy and so really 
necessary. And so it's, it's really been a, uh, a great, uh, it's really been a great treat for me to be a part of this and to really help drive it. And uh, we're really excited about the future of the program and all the causes that we might be able to support with it. Dan, awesome chat. I had great fun building that mostly from your LinkedIn post. And if you keep it up, then I might have to have you back uh, on the podcast each year. If people do want to connect with you or find out more about CDW, what can they do? Yeah, I, I have no problem with, with outreach. Um, I certainly don't have time to have, uh, as anybody doesn't, uh, right, deep, meaningful conversations with uh, with things that don't necessarily apply directly to our business. But, you know, I, I'm always I'm always going to respond. And so I encourage people to reach out to me uh, on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. And uh, from there, we can, we can always see where it goes. Dan Freistack, Senior Manager, Brand and Sponsorship. Thank you so much for taking us inside sponsorship at CDW. I really appreciate the time and uh, I hope uh, people find some <laughs> something interesting or entertaining from this. As I mentioned a few times, that chat was fueled by Dan's consistent LinkedIn posts that share his views, provide insights and engage others to share theirs. So I highly recommend you connect with Dan and follow him on LinkedIn. And you can do so by following the link I've put in the show notes at sponsor.net. That's all we have time for. If you want to connect with me, then you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston or drop me an email at daniel at sponsor.net or on Twitter using the handle at sponsor. And of course, you can connect with Mark Thompson, our MD, on LinkedIn or email at mark at sponsor.net. Don't forget that you can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you want a shout-out just like Soli, be sure to get in contact. We really do love hearing from you guys. If you haven't already, do us a favor. Head along to iTunes and leave us a review. It makes us feel super special. But more importantly, it helps others, just like you in the industry, find the show and learn. And that's what this show is all about. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes, blogs and resources, head to sponsor.net or search for Sponserve on Facebook, Twitter or LinkedIn.